Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 3, Episode 224 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us as we continue our study today. Um, and we pause from the Come Follow Me materials, uh, as we always do on a Monday. And we have a look at some listener comments that have come in on the Facebook group. And also uh, we have a look at um, something else that I've studied. Of course, if there's anything that you've studied, which is uh, kind of separate from the Come Follow Me materials, I'd love to receive it in an email. Just send me a link uh, or send it on the Facebook group uh, and I'll feature that in our Monday episode. Um, but uh, this week is one from myself. Um, first of all, then the listener comments. Been a couple this week, which has been great. Always lovely to get some comments uh, from listeners uh, on the Facebook group. Uh, with first of all, this is to do with the parable of the wheat and the tares in Doctrine and Covenants section 86. Um, I kind of posed the question about what did we learn from, or what did you learn from the study about this parable of the wheat and the tares and how the further insight from Doctrine and Covenants 86 directed our understanding of this a bit more. And uh, Candace Welch uh, said this, uh, after learning that the Doctrine and Covenant changes, the order of gathering this parable so the wheat are gathered before the chaff, it may be realised that the angels who have to wait for the end are eager to gather the righteous away from the wicked. They're not ready to come and burn the chaff as it seems in the New Testament version. They want to protect and help the righteous, which is much more comforting. Uh, and I have to say that this is you know, one of the things that I really enjoy the most about Doctrine and Covenants 86, because like when you read in the New Testament, as, as Candice pointed out, if you have the angels that are eager to come down and gather up and burn the wicked, that sounds very, um, you know, very um, threatening almost. Uh, but actually, the way that the, the revised translation from Joseph Smith gives us uh, from the Lord, where it's actually the wheat being gathered away from the chaff, um, that's what the angels want to do, is they want to come and empower the righteous to, to bring them away from the world and out of the world, uh, which is a much more comforting and a much more... Um, uh, it's a thought that's much more uh, linked with the ideas of the gospel, which is to bring people out of wickedness, to bring them out and to save them um, from the sins, not in their sins, uh, and to help them to become better. Uh, and I think that is a much more um, reassuring thought than the, than the angels wanting to come down and, and burn the, the tares. Uh, also, we had a, uh, a comment in regards to Doctrine and Covenants 85 and the importance of record keeping. If you remember, we talked about how um, around the time of Doctrine and Covenants 85 was the time that Joseph Smith got his own little journal. Well, say, yeah, it was quite little. Uh, and he started to write kind of his own um, experiences down for the first time. And uh, I shared the, um, the actual Joseph Smith Papers link, which takes you directly to the 1832 account of the first vision, which Joseph wrote in his own hand. And you can see just with how much effort and trouble he took to get the, this down into words. Um, Cindy Wilcox um, made a point uh, about this, uh, about understanding the background and context between these chapters in the Doctrine and Covenants, and them just and, and those and the insight just helping us understand a lot more um, the lessons we learn from it. Uh, she said, I love how you pointed out in part three of this week about learning more about the history and background of each section. I too have enjoyed this immensely. I feel like in the past it was you either studied church history or you studied the words and principles from the Doctrine and Covenants. I have gained and I'm still gaining a great respect and love for these early church leaders, their struggles and their amazing resilience in bringing forth the gospel in these latter days. 
I couldn't echo those words more from Cindy there. Um, I, I could be wrong, but when, when I think about institutes and, and different things like that, you generally have the Doctrine and Covenants and sometimes you'd have a separate church history uh, study. And there is so much to learn about in both of those, but actually bringing them together uh, in this Come Follow Me study with our family and in our, and in our congregations this year, I think has just taught me personally, and I'm sure many others, so much. Um, it really has opened my eyes to the context behind every single chapter or every single section, um, which then gives us a deeper understanding of what it really meant to those people when those words were uttered from the, from the mouth of the prophets, from the Lord, um, which is a, it's a great uh, lesson, I think, for myself this week. And so I'm grateful that Cindy um, re-emphasized -re that. The thing that I'm going to share with you this week is another uh, Enzyme article. I mean, I do study the Enzyme every month. Um, I, I, I definitely utilize the study plan uh, function in the Gospel Library to help me to remember to do this and do it uh, very um, accessibly within my day. Um, but there was just two great articles. The one I shared last week was by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, and he was talking about uh, religious freedom uh, and it being a moral compass in society. And then Brother Bradley R. Wilcox, the second counsellor in the Young Men General Presidency, um, and also just an author of a number of books and just a great speaker, um, also has another article directly after Elder Holland's. And this time it's about um, kind of focusing on the church and how we can find safety in it. And he begins with um, an, an analogy of, with the Titanic. Now, this I thought was actually particularly interesting because... Obviously, we all know the Titanic sunk. It was meant to be the un unsinkable ship, but I didn't actually know the reason why they thought that it was an unsinkable ship. There was an actual um, kind of thing that they'd done with the ship that was different to other ships, which made them think that that one would not sink. Um, as uh, Brother Wilcox um, explained, uh, quote, unlike any ship before it, the vessel had been built in compartments. So if one got a hole, only that compartment would fill with water and the ship would remain afloat. When the Titanic hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean, however, the iceberg punched holes in many compartments and the ship began to sink, close quote. So, I I mean, I might have learned that in the past, but it's, it's either been brought to my remembrance or it's something I've learned new, is that actually there was a reason why they thought the ship was unsinkable. There was a reason why they thought that there was no reason to worry. They, they were just going to go along absolutely fine, but something happened which caused a problem. And unfortunately... Not everyone went to the lifeboats to begin with because they thought they were just being overly cautious. It's the unsinkable ship and it was a great tragedy. Um, Brother Wilcox goes on to say, quote, in 2019, some people proclaimed nothing can stop the world economy. Unemployment rates across the globe are lower than ever. Then along came a virus so small that we cannot even see it and it changed everything. Not only did millions of people become ill and many die, but many also lost jobs. Fear was everywhere. Like the Titanic, the world tilted. But members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints were safe and secure in the lifeboat. Then an interesting thing happened. A lot of people looked it toward our church lifeboats. The April and October General Conferences in 2020 were watched by more people than ever. Millions of additional people. During the pandemic, many people began to realise they needed what the lifeboats had to offer. Belief in God, appreci appreciation for organised religion and faith in Jesus Christ, close quote. He then goes on to talk about these three things, belief in God, appreciation or, or the value of organised religion, and faith in Jesus Christ as important factors 
of developing our faith and helping others build faith um, to get into the lifeboat safely when difficulties do arise. Uh, I'm not going to have time to go through all of those, but what I do want to pick out is the first bit where he talks about believing God. He says, quote, studies show that in times of trouble and crisis, believers cope much better than non-believers. Believers are happier and more willing to donate to charity. During the pandemic, people struggled to find peace and meaning in a time of great isolation and disruption. Believers felt a hope and optimism that others did not. Um, Brett G. Sharifs, a law professor at Brigham Young University, when some of his colleagues at other universities find out he's a devout believer, they sometimes ask, but what if you're wrong and God doesn't exist? He responds, I am willing to be wrong in this way if it means believing and treating others as though they are children of God, created in his image with the potential to become beings like, like unto a perfect and perfectly loving God. I would rather make the mistake of attributing meaning and love to a universe that is meaningless and indifference than vice versa. And besides, I do not think we are wrong. Close quote. I love that response because there is always that question of, well, what if you, what if your belief is wrong? What if there is no God? You know, there's so many hard things that happen. You know, why why would you even think that there is a God? And I love that response by um, by this law professor, Brett G. Sharris, because as he says, well, if I am wrong, I feel like my faith and belief in God has made me a better person, has given me hope, has given me more meaning in this life and more joy. And so why wouldn't I, I, I believe, even if I am wrong? rather than the other way around where I don't believe and actually there is something or even if I don't believe and there is nothing and yet I struggle to find meaning and purpose in this life because I don't have that belief it's far better to believe and potentially be wrong for me personally because it brings much more meaning and joy and hope for me my family and for those around me of course I don't think I'm wrong and you know we have a testimony that there is, we may have a testimony that there is a there is a god out there um, but it's an interesting response there by Brett G. Sharifs, and it's one that I th find particularly interesting um, for myself as well. Uh, it, we've reached the 10 minute mark, and so we're going to have to stop there. But um, it's a really interesting article. He goes on to talk about organized religion as well and faith in Christ. So I do recommend you have a look at that uh, at some point this week. Uh, and, and I'll put the link for it in the Facebook group. Please share something you've studied uh, and I'll share it in a future Monday episode as well. Thank you very much for your time and until we meet again.